We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. So today we have uh, Mindy Smith with uh, Prescribe Wellness. Um, for those who've joined in for the first time, my name is Josh Allen with um, Pioneer X, and with me is Mark Bivens, also of Pioneer X. So Mindy, welcome. Hey, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So you live outside of DC. Um, I do. You you do you've kind of you have a really interesting story to me, um, but let's kind of. Good. Let's go into your origin story, like how you became a pharmacist, like where you started, where you grew up, and then how you landed outside of D.C. rubbing elbows with politicians. So I am actually born and raised um, in Nebraska, so I'm a Cornhusker. My car license plate says Cornhusker on it as well. So oh, I spent goodness. my first, my formative years in Nebraska. My um, parents are from Wyoming, so go Cowboys. Uh, they moved back to Wyoming uh, in the early 90s, and I, of course, followed, followed them there and ended up going to University of Wyoming. What, what made you become a pharmacist? What, what, did you have family that's, that's in that space at all? Usually, at least in, in our space, I feel like there's a lot of times the, the, the origin story has to do with somebody being either knowing or related to, to one. It sounds like that is not the case with you, though. It is not the case. I actually come from a railroad family. My grandfather, my father, my brother, my brother-in-law—they all are uh, engineers on the railroad. Okay. So I am the only—I um, have a cousin who's a medical doctor in Wyoming, and I uh, was influenced by some friends who actually I met in college. I was looking to go do something medical, not medical school, but looking at optometry, physical therapy, pharmacy. Um, and discovered that I don't like to touch gooey things. <laughs> That's fair. So I, a lot of us ended up in pharmacy school that fair. way. Right? That's fair. Right? And so, um, yeah, so I ended up in uh, going to pharmacy school and never have never looked back. Um, absolutely love the profession. That's cool. So when, when Mark and I talked to you earlier, you, were, uh, you mentioned um, early on when you got involved in some of the pharmacy associations that you would – do the um, clock out and run across the street to the Capitol. Um, so tell us more about how you got in that boat. Yeah. So, so in, in pharmacy school, uh, I was involved in, in many of the associations for students for uh, pharmacy associations. And I stayed really involved in the Wyoming uh, Pharmacy Association. And so learned about advocacy and how you can really advocate for the profession, but also really, it's really about advocating for patient care. And so I, uh, it was happenstance, but I was working as a health system pharmacist. The, my boss at the time, she was the president of the Wyoming Pharmacy Association. And I also happened to work with other leadership um, that was on that board. She came into work one day and said, gosh, we're looking for a new executive director. And I was like, 
well, maybe I'm interested. I had no idea what I was doing, no experience <laughs> in that whatsoever. I had That's never great. done anything related from a formal perspective related to uh, legislation or lobbying or anything. And so long story short, they ended up giving me the job. So I was, I worked full time as a hospital pharmacist and uh, Wyoming Pharmacy Association was my part-time job, part-time. So I had two full-time jobs, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, but part, it was, it was unquote, fantastic. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have got a better um, experience learning about the legislative process than the great state of Wyoming um, because it's, the state is very well connected. It's almost like a family, very family oriented, family environment. Um, so you sit in committee rooms around the state legislators, you sit around the perimeter of the room right next to them and they'll call on you and you stand up and speak. It's such a great environment and that's where I learned. So I actually, I fell in love with that work and the Arizona uh, pharmacy, it was called Arizona Pharmacy Alliance. They had mm -hmm. combined the health system and, and community pharmacy associations together and they were looking for a new state exec who was also a pharmacist. So I applied for that position three years later after Wyoming and ended up in Arizona for uh, another five years with the association, uh, with the Arizona Pharmacy Association, and then uh, ended up meeting my husband, who's uh, a lobbyist in DC, and I ended up out here in Northern Virginia, right outside of DC, uh, where I worked for the American Pharmacists Association Foundation. Cool. So is your husband also in the medical field or just what kind of lobbying he is does not. he do? So he actually, his expertise is in prisons and corrections. Um, he does some healthcare as well. And he's been really working on with the COVID task force in DC, trying to make sure that people um, have access with from the private sector of uh, the medications and supplies that we've needed for uh, uh, the pandemic. Um, so yeah, so we're a, a we love football in this house. Football and politics are um, household conversations, daily conversations. Like a, a riveting policy discussion at breakfast. Right. Well, yeah, and kind of both polarizing at times. <laughs> I know. Right? Well, some people are like, oh, we don't talk about politics. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do you not? Totally right. <laughs> right. And football, too. Like, Yeah. So I mean, yeah. With, with respect to football, what is there? A, is the house divided? Oh, so, you know, I it was... Um, um, my husband, Tom Brady, and the Patriots, but, you know, with mm, that they broke severance up, yeah. of, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like, a, a, <laughs> I don't know, it's a sad <laughs> thing to see. But I, I grew up watching the Broncos from, uh, you know, being um, yeah. in Wyoming. So the Broncos have been my team. What advice or where do you start if you're a pharmacist and you want to affect change locally? Um whether it's in your region, your area, your district, whatever, where do you start? Is it approaching your state legislators? Let's start, let's talk state, I guess. And yeah. what are those conversations like? How do you even have those initial conversations? That's a great question. So I think one, you need to really, every pharmacist should be involved with their state pharmacy association. Um, they are, uh, it's the power with the advocacy that you have at the state level is significant. And I think a lot of times, um, 
pharmacists don't realize uh, what their associations are doing for them. So I'm a huge um, uh, advocate for the state pharmacy associations. And I think through that, um, you also are able to, they're able to support you to be able to be engaged and be an advocate for uh, what your needs are related to connecting with legislators. So I think a lot of people are, have this, they, they think legislators are, you can't get to them or they won't talk right. to you. Right. And they do, they want to talk to you. Um, they were, uh, um, uh, elected to represent you regardless if you voted for them or not, they're there to represent you. And so if you don't, um, are not uh, engaged with them, uh, they don't know what your issues are. They could be a school teacher, they could be a, an attorney, they could be, you know, non-healthcare provider. So they're not an expert in healthcare. They don't know what pharmacists do. And so I um, think of like, you know, just they're an everyday person. So don't be afraid to reach out, approach them, get on, walk into their office um, and have a conversation. That's it what they're there like, for. Yeah. It also sounds like be prepared to educate too. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Early on at Pioneer, um, we talked to a U.S. senator. I won't name them, but I was shocked at how little they knew about healthcare. You know, you kind of think about, oh, it's in the news all the time, but it's such a small piece of what they do that it was like, oh, we have to start at the very beginning. We can't even talk about the thing we wanted to talk about because you don't understand the concepts that come prior to that. Right. It was Yep, absolutely, 100%. And, and so it's even on from a, a local level, um, but also uh, from, from a congressional level, um, the accessibility of your senators, your two state senators and uh, your representative from a congressional perspective, it, you need to make sure you have a relationship with them and are um, they're kind of creating a, a you're their go-to right? right on on questions about pharmacy, and I think that's really what the state associations do as well. They have those relationships. They have uh, I think that another very important relationship is with your governor. And so, uh, as you, as we saw and have seen, even with the pandemic, um, related to the decisions that our governors have had to make from a state level, um, are significant. And um, I know I just talked to a uh, association state exec yesterday who was talking with the governor just yesterday to make sure that the pharmacists had the authority of what they needed to do um, from a regulatory perspective to uh, provide the COVID. Uh, vaccine when it comes available. So that's what they're doing. And uh, there is also um, uh, govern, government affairs committees and committees you can get involved in with your state association where collectively you can work on issues or bring an issue forward that uh, may not be uh, recognized, but needs to be addressed. So, so you mentioned the the recent thing with, with COVID and, and being I guess everything they having everything they need to make sure you can give those immunizations when when those when those come out right. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing any 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 more outreach at that state level? In addition, I know you you mentioned that one perspective, but around that immunization piece altogether, and and, and making sure that one they have everything they need and the authority to do it. I I, I do. I think uh, I 
I think community pharmacy is at the table per se related from a CDC perspective um, on the how they're going to distribute and allocate uh, the COVID vaccine to community pharmacies mm -hmm. so that they can um, provide that service. But I also think that we need to advocate even more um, from a independent community pharmacy perspective um, because um, chains aren't in every location across the country. So we need our That's independent pharmacies. Really good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be able to um, be brought to the table. So I don't know if they're formally there yet, um, but I, I know that there are definitely discussions going on even from um, NCPA to make sure that uh, community pharmacies are ready to go and can meet all the requirements from the vaccine finder to everything going on um, in that space, um, meeting reporting requirements, et cetera. Right. So in your current role, you kind of intersect in all of those things. Um, so how, and right now this is kind of a, an unknown, the COVID vaccine becomes available. A pharmacist can administer it. How are they going to get paid for it? Oh, that's such a great question, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know that answer? <laughs> no, that's why I asked you. That's why we brought you on. That's why we brought you on. Tell us. <laughs> Please tell no, us. I no, no, actually, I think that's a huge gap. And, um, you know, frankly, from my personal opinion, a disappointment that um, we continue to see, you know, we've got these great declarations from HHS coming out and saying, you know, pharmacists, on, you know, cuffing your uh, ability to provide back the vaccine down to age three. But, um, but by the way, figure out how you're going to get paid. You might have to do incident two with physicians or contract with the, with the health plans. And it's just not, it's just not good. And, you know, you need to have expertise, I think, from a business perspective, um, from a, in a billing provider perspective to be able to navigate that because it's not a one-stop, oh, this is what you do and you get paid. It's not, it's, it's all over the board. It's very frustrating from vaccination perspective to clinical, all clinical services that pharmacists can provide. So um, I think uh, until we are able and, and recognized as a provider under Medicare, then we'll, Medicaid would fall, would follow, will follow. Um, and then we have some states that have passed great provider status legislation so they can, pharmacists can build to, uh, for commercial health plans, but the commercial plan, health plans aren't banging at the door of the pharmacy saying, please sign up. I want to pay another provider. So it's just, it's, I mean, we still, we have to, we have to keep pushing on it. We have to keep at this, but unfortunately it's not a, um, clear, here's what you do, and right. therefore you'll get paid. Yeah, and the commercial mix in an in a independent pharmacy is fairly low in, in general. I think, I think I read stats where it's right. usually around 80%-ish are some type of CMS, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid or both. Um, yep. Yeah, and the other interesting thing is I saw that they were um, they were considering having the government fund, basically buy all of the, the COVID vaccine and then push that out. So if it's reimbursed through like the CARES Act or something, there's still this whole, yeah, where I don't, how are you going to pay for it? Yeah, where mm -hmm. you send it to get paid. Right. 
Yeah, somebody's somebody's going to be responsible for the dollars, and if you're going to make sorry. patients pay for it, it's not going to happen. No, yeah, and I think that's also what we saw with the COVID testing kits as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's true. The same thing on access to the testing kits and pharmacists um, maybe or maybe not getting paid paid for um, providing those tests. So uh, it's very frustrating. So I want to kind of switch gears to DC for a minute. When we talked to you earlier this week to kind of pregame this, I was expecting, you know, Mindy, prescribe wellness, DC, right in the suburbs. And then we find out you went from Cheyenne to an hour outside of DC. To, to Cheyenne, DC. And something, there, like, <laughs> right? there was like a pumpkin farm or something. I, I, right I want to spend some time on that. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, uh, out here in D.C., so we're ni a nice hour um, away. My husband was um, there yesterday afternoon um, meeting with some clients, but uh, so we're close enough when we want to when we need to go in, uh, we can. But we actually live an hour away out on six acres of property, where it, um, it you have to drive on two miles of dirt road to get to our house. So <laughs> I have a big ten box garden. I planted garlic last year. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. <laughs> no vampires at your house. I love it. I love it. Ready for Halloween. All right. Right. So yeah, we do. We have a, a strawberry pumpkin farm right across the street. They also make their own donuts. So you can go get Ooh. your pumpkins and eat some fresh homemade donuts. So I try to stay away from the neighbors. <laughs> so <laughs> and many so they, they just randomly make donuts or they sell them? They have oh, like a donut stand and then sell them. Oh, right. So, so like they so have good. a donut stand in the, like an hour outside of DC. Uh huh. Right across the huh. street from my house. Dude, I would be so fat if there was a donut stand I'm across the street. I know. <laughs> be like, I never see Josh. <laughs> like I roll up with like, yeah. could you have donuts? I'm just permanently glazed. <laughs> <laughs> I know they have strawberry glazed donuts. Oh, oh goodness! <laughs> goodness. Also, and getting I'm, fatter on this show already. <laughs> just listening to it. I, I'm gonna. I I'm gonna highlight the fact that I'm definitely a city dweller. But how do you grow garlic? Okay, so like, is so it a, cool. is it a tuber? You, you have. I I did not know it was so easy. I have a neighbor who is a master garden master, and so she's taught me a lot in the last couple of years since we moved out here. So, you take your garlic cloves of your garlic. And you put them in the ground in good soil, um, uh, four inches underground. And you plant them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to actually plant mine um, either this weekend or next weekend. You plant them in the end of October. You put the cloves underneath the ground. You separate them by like four, four inches each. Plant your garlic cloves. And they grow and pop up. Um, in the spring and they're ready to harvest in July. That's it. That's all you do. So like an kind of like a like a long version of an onion then, right? Like a yeah. long game version yeah. of an onion. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So you um uh you take them out and uh pull them out in July and let them dry out and then they're ready to eat. That's it. Huh. So I've got my I'm recycling my uh ones I grew this last year and I'm gonna replant those cloves. Yeah. So yeah, it's like cool. My my gardening skills are, are are slim, but I decided that I was going to try and grow a bonsai tree from a seed. So I planted wow. like five or six of them, and right now I have one that actually is still alive. 
And the most insulting thing ever happened. Like I dropped a bean in the pot or somebody did. I don't know how. And like, I've got a one inch bonsai tree growing <laughs> on accident and like a, a nine inch beanstalk that Bean. just magically showed up out of nowhere. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's funny. Have you, are you like, are you doing a bonsai tree because you, have you been watching Cobra Kai? Yes. Um, I did watch Cobra Kai. Oh my gosh. Yes. Are you watching right? it too? Oh, it's so good. It's so great. <laughs> have you, have you finished so it? I did. I finished it. I, I'm disappointed that uh, another season hasn't come out. Yeah, COVID's just messing up with um, all the stuff. But Netflix yeah. bought it, so they're at least going to do one more season. Yeah, th- yeah, they're going to at least do one more. Yeah. But yeah, that guy is so <laughs> the main Karate Kid guy is so kind of unlikable in the show. Kind of likable, but like the the original Daniel guy, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Like I was just like, maybe he was always this unlikable. Not, oh but, yeah, and who, like like. <laughs> So and he's playing a character. I don't mean to like take a shot at anybody personally, but be like that Ralph Macchio is <laughs> no, horrible. Yeah, yeah. The character though, I'm like, man, <laughs> God, he's just not that likable. But yeah, Johnny's great. I, I love the like when I was in fifth grade, I started Taekwondo, and of course, the Karate Kid was around uh, earlier than that, but still yeah. relevant. And you, you're always just like, man, there's no way the crane kick would work. It's just. It's not a possibility. <laughs> Dude, I have, I have practiced that as a, a kid. Any, I don't know anybody who hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I have not. I did not try oh, that. Man. <laughs> and I know with your current role, I, I know, you, like Josh said, you, you intersect a lot still with state associations. Uh, I think you even said some consumer safety associations. You've kind of almost, as you advocate for medication safety, um, really. So, so tell us a little bit about kind of current day now and, and, and yeah, absolutely. So prescribed wellness, um, as I think men, most know was acquired by tabula rasa healthcare in March of 2019. So, um, now I'm sitting on, I sit on the tabula rasa team, um, as VP of their professional affairs department and our, uh, my focus is really intersecting with state associations, national associations um, that are, of course, pharmacy industry related, but also healthcare related um, organizations or consumer organizations that are, you know, advocates for patients and consumers related to any healthcare issue. There are still, I um, mean, from a healthcare perspective, there are um, over 170. 3,000 people that die from an adverse drug event every year, and little more, little less than half of those individuals are opioid-related deaths. But then you have another 100,000 people who are dying from adverse drug events every single year that no one's talking about. And so, if you quantify that uh, statistically, it's it, if if adverse drug events were a disease, it would be the fourth leading cause of death in the United States. And so Cal and Ursa, you know, really stepped back um, and went, why is this happening? Pharmacists are medication experts. This is us. We should own this, right? And why are patients who are taking medications at normal doses dying from adverse drug events, right? This is not medication errors. This is people taking medications that are interacting with each other just because um, from a metabolic perspective, drugs interact with each other. So they set out on a mission 
to find out what the root cause analysis of um, adverse drug events are. And they've actually come up with a medication safety solution uh, that is a, an advanced clinical decision support tool for pharmacists. So I think it's a game changer for the pharmacy profession. And I hope to see that uh, all pharmacists have access to this tool. Um, one, it, it identifies based on risk factors associated with a patient's medication, it identifies a patient's risk of an adverse drug event. So if you step back and think about, wouldn't it be amazing if all pharmacists had the ability to identify every single day any patient who is at risk? So one, you can at least identify that risk. And then number two, what do I do about it? And so their decision support tool um, really takes the, the, it takes all of the information that a patient, their entire medication profile, pulls all of that information together so that they can address uh, uh, anticholinergic burden, sedative burden, um, uh, competitive inhibition related to how do you, the human brain, unless you're the rain man, Maybe Josh's. Maybe Josh's Josh kind of is Rain Man. Like I'm a bit actually. of Rain Man. <laughs> so he's got a little bit of Rain Man in him. <laughs> so unless you're the Rain, unless you're Josh, and I'll take that in a mostly you... positive. <laughs> yeah, that's statement. probably about right. <laughs> mostly positive. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. So the human brain can't possibly map all of the um, cytochrome P450 liver enzyme pathways that drugs go through. So what we've done is pulled this information together, all together in a simultaneous multi-drug analysis that essentially maps all of that patient's medication um, that they're taking and which pathway, which liver enzymes each drug is going through. And then it identifies and shows the pharmacist not only all of these medications are going through one particular enzyme, but by the way, this medication has a higher affinity to that enzyme. So now the pharmacist knows if that drug has the higher affinity, it's blocking the other medication from being metabolized. So if it's blocking it from being metabolized, it can't get out of the system to be cleared, and therefore it can build up and have toxicity effects. So it's amazing. It has bioavailability information, renal clearance information. You can add pharmacogenomics information. But for the first time, a pharmacist now at their fingertips has the ability to see a multi-drug analysis that truly allows them to apply the knowledge that we all went to school for. And I'm, I'm going to throw some Rain Man here. Let's do um, it. One of the things that's really interesting about, you know, drug dosing and st and studies were up until fairly recently, it, it, much later than would not terrify most people, um, women were excluded from drug development studies. And so what they would do is they would just basically take adult men and perform the drug studies, you know, the phase one where you right, determine yeah. if it's going to kill you or not up through phase three to find out if it works. Um, and then they would extrapolate that to women and kids. So what you end up with is this weird wing of both sides where 
they would say, all right, a woman's roughly 75% of the size of a man. So the dose would be 75%. Um, and so that's where it was. So you'd see overwhelming differences in side effects and adverse events from women and children because they just weren't studied. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, now we're starting to find out that uh, it turns out women have different metabolic pathways and they have different enzymes. Um, not surprising to most of the women who are listening, but better pain threshold. So, yeah. you know, they have different responses to opioids and things like that. So it's crazy. We, we really did a, a modern medicine, did a disservice to drug discovery because we excluded women and kids from trials. And Rain Man done. Yeah, Rain Man complete. Now, that was, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. But I, I mean, I'm not no, a pharmacist. I... Everyone, if, if anyone doesn't know that, I'm not. <laughs> but um, that that makes, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. To add to that, I um, we're going to continue. So we have a, a research institute where we have um, uh, Jacques Trajone and uh, Veronique, our our pharmacist PhDs, um, that lead our research institute, and they continue to uh, uh, conduct research on how does disease affect your um, ability to. Um, metabolize medication. I think, and exactly to your to the to Rain Man's point, um, is Love that uh, is it. is uh, how does uh, our genetic makeup um, as human beings affect um, how to maximize and optimize medication use in our in our body and um, affect the ability for medication to be eliminated through a body that then can cause and build up and cause these adverse drug events. So um, it's exciting, I think, to see, I mean, what we're doing, but they, um, to see where it will go, to see where science will go. And I think what we always talk about is taking it from uh, personalized medicine, and then you add the genomic uh, factors to that, and it becomes precision medicine. And we need to be there. There's no reason that we're not there from a healthcare um, perspective and making sure that we are able to, the science is there. Um, it's, we need to need to connect the, uh, healthcare, I think, uh, delivery system and the payment model to pay for pharmacogenomics because, and then our pharmacists, um, uh, with the tools they need to be able to, uh, make these decisions. You think health plans are going to go, yeah, this makes total sense for a certain drug profile, to, to do this so. kind of thing and go, yeah. all right, I, let's do it. Having I think worked some for one, are. I mm. think some are. Yeah, I think as soon as it hits them in the pocketbook, they'll do it. Okay. Right? I mean, in, in a weird way, health plans are insurers, right? So if it lowers their risk and how much I have, they have to pay out, I think they'll pay for it. But there's a, there's a certain burden of proof. You know, like historically with drugs, when we've had drug interactions, and, you know, I, I'm guilty of this as well, the first step is just, back off the dose, right? And like, yeah. it's a free fix to a $10 problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think um, this, the systems that pharmacists um, have had, have had to or use that are the, the, the medication decision systems that um, exist today that provide that one-to-one -one drug alert um, was fine before um, pa patients really started taking 
a ton of medication together, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a recent report from the Loan Institute that in 2019 said that 20% of Americans, I think age 65 and older, are, um, are taking more than 10 medications. So we've become a polypharmacy society. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also lent to these adverse drug events because um, as a, in, in the science or in the, in the way to support the science hasn't caught up until now. So we are recognizing that we, this is a huge issue and we need to address it. And so to your point, Josh, on, you know, oh, let's back off the dose, but there may be so many, so many other things going on that um, maybe they shouldn't be taking them. Maybe that medication doesn't even work because they're, um, they're, uh, uh, liver can't metabolize it or for whatever reason. So yeah, very, well, and I mean, there's a, there's a patient care part of so. that, right? You know, like mm-hmm. just because I back off the dose and I may have to back off again, the, there's a person on the other side of that having a problem, you know, like, um, it's not really used all that often anymore, but when I was coming out of pharmacy school and this was 2008, when you learn how to dose colchicine, which is a drug for gout, um, it's dosed in the most cruel way possible. You basically give somebody a medication. So they can't handle it? No, until they have uncontrollable diarrhea. Oh, my God. And, like, as a human, that's not something you want to have to deal with. So, you know, now there's a whole deal of, sure, we can make you live longer, but how do you improve the quality of life? And managing those medications at the right time and the right frequency is the right thing to do. It'll save the healthcare system money, and the human on the other end of that benefits by not going to the hospital and not dying, right? 100%. Even um, even related to opioid use. So um, there are um, opioids that are reliant upon a, uh, your liver enzyme to be activated for their analgesic effect. And if they're being, that, that particular opioid is being blocked from being activated, a patient could actually come back to the physician and say, I'm still in pain. And so I think that that's, this is like just one use case related to um, metabolic use where prescribers might be, oh, well, they're drug seeking, right? Oh, they want some more. When actually the patient legitimately is in pain because other medication are preventing the complete um, uh, activation of the opioid medication. But then uh, the flip side of this is if the physician increases the dose of the opioid and you remove that other drug that was blocking that oh. opioid from being activated, yeah. you can cause an unintentional overdose. So, the, I mean, pharmacists can know this information. We've got now a tool to help them um, address that and see these interactions. And I think, you know, from, you know, your point on how do you optimize therapy in a better way um, and address some of these issues that you can, we can layer in from an opioid care perspective that isn't being done from a uh, clinical perspective today on a routine from a standard perspective. How do we change that? So um, I think we can change it together, right? And we loop it all back and you go talk to your state representatives. Yep. Right. See? Get Medicaid to pay. Get Medicaid <laughs> to pay for it. Right. Right. Yep. 
But before you do that, you have to go by and get a donut. Yeah, that's true. Then you then go you, and do it. Right. Then or bring go. them donuts. Bring yep. them donuts. Oh. That's what you're doing. Yeah, there we go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So on, on Sunday mornings, we there's a little donut shop in my neighborhood. And um, my daughter and I usually walk down there and grab some donuts. And they were closed the other day because she was a three-year-old and waited too long to be ready and all the other stuff. And the kid was like distraught by the lack of donuts so i can imagine if you can if you can get you know the politicians just really excited about donuts and right. then delay it a little bit right and then show up with a donut and be like you know it'd be cool paying pharmacists for work <laughs> i love it like, i like it bribery I with it, donuts i think it's an, a cause we can all get behind <laughs> and, and i think everyone would argue every all pharmacists should try to start doing something like that right and then we're trying to help too from supporting them from, from behind the scenes but yeah 100 percent. and and we needed more buddy carters in right yeah congress on capitol hill right and even on the state level there are several pharmacists that mm -hmm. are state legislators but we need more we need more yeah i feel kind of slackerish i've yeah, no. not done what anything are you doing, like that Josh? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> She had two full-time jobs. I know. Like, I, <laughs> right. He's eating donuts. Eating donuts with a three-year-old. She had two full-time jobs. I I'm know. just saying. Just throwing it out there. Kidding. I'm going to go send my uh, my yearly dues to the Texas Pharmacy right, Association. Right, right. At least right you're supporting that's it. Right. Right. Yeah, I know, right. Yes, you are. Write that check. I, I will tell Debbie Garza to... Oh, uh, oh, she just named name, names. Yeah. All right. Like, all right, Debbie, look for Josh Howland on the, <laughs> yeah. the roster. And we know Michael Muniz, too. So yeah. uh, we can we can, uh, we can yeah. we can loop a lot of people in here to keep yeah. you accountable. What's really cool is um, uh, Cal Knowlton pays... Um, for all of the pharmacists that work for the company, he pays for our APHA membership and our ASHP membership. Oh, cool. So cool. Yeah. All right. Anything else that we, we need to talk about that we missed about Mindy? Other than Cobra, I mean, we can still go on Cobra Kai yeah, if you want to keep we, going. We literally yeah, talked. Because, like, yeah. We could like do karate. <laughs> Like, we could all do the kick. We could all do the in sync. We could do it in sync. I'd like to the, see you do the crane. Do the, do the, that's that's right. The crane, the crane kick. Sorry, I don't you know, know the One of my thing. favorite things. And this won't go well for people who haven't seen Cobra Kai, and for I know, the people who for, do watch forget, this, yeah. you should. Yeah, it was actually better than the Karate Kid movies, which was surprising. Uh, but I love the fact that throughout the entire first season, Johnny's always making references to being taken out with an illegal kick. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like that. That was an illegal kick. Yeah. It, like it, it wasn't necessarily legal. It's just there's no way it would have worked. <laughs> right. Josh is a black belt in Taekwondo, <laughs> by the way. Just in case it, 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 people are like, "What does he know?" Yeah. <laughs> Ten years and ten pounds ago, but right, yes. right, right, right. I, I love it. I like we've got like he's got the karate right. rain, man, bit of rain man donut eating guy. Donut eating, right? Like well, I, you know. I had to do taekwondo because I ate a lot of donuts. That's true. We had to <laughs> <laughs> fighting burns a lot of calories. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> you have to like do a daily jog out here <laughs> on the yeah. dirt roads. <laughs> Make sure I get my exercise. No doubt. All the garlic and donuts the garlic. available. Yeah. Yeah. You should my, my breath is amazing. <laughs> you know, like, there's there's a whole world of making weird donuts. I feel like there's a garlic donut in your future. Right. Ooh. Oh, oh. That's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it could be. I mean, garlic is is a weird thing where it it, it goes in a lot of stuff. 
it, it does. Are you like are you like a chef too, Josh? No, no. Um, I'm excellent at drive through. <laughs> It's a good drink maker. So that. It, I can make it can make a good drink. The, the pandemic has made my bartending skills pretty solid. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know. Or wine, wine contrasor. They have a lot of vineyards out here where I live too. So it's very cool. They have all these Virginia vineyards. They're not, you know, they're not Napa yet, but they have potential. potential. <laughs> and they're close. <laughs> I have a couple. I have a couple. Favorites. Right, right. And they're close by. You don't have to be Napa if you're close. That's true. <laughs> Although yeah. in, in the area here, we have um, Grape Fest every year yeah. around. And so there's some like Texas oh, vine vineyards. And um, we always thought they were reasonably good. Um, and they're okay, I suppose. And then my wife and I went to Napa a few years ago. And we were like, ooh, Texas wines, not amazing. And so now right. yeah. you, you kind of get you get spoiled a little bit when you make a trip out to places like Napa. You might have yeah. some people giving you heat after this. Just, I'm, I'm just saying that's that's a controversial statement. I, I like it. I don't know that it's that controversial. <laughs> Texas wines just not that good. Yeah, I think it's because they the they the the vines, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not I don't know for sure, but they're just not as aged. Right, they don't. Right, the, the vines aren't older climate, or whatever. Soil's right? different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. I think. I think a lot of the Texas vineyards that actually do well against import things their import wine. their grapes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they do. Uh, they do. Yeah. It's like my wine's yeah. amazing. It was grown in Napa. It was a California grape. Yeah. But I could, you know, I, I could <laughs> see Virginia being similar. Like you get similar in climate to Napa. It's hot in the summer, cool in the winter. In Texas, it's just mm -hmm. hot. Yes, just <laughs> just hot. hot, just hot, and then it freezes everything, yeah. and we don't know what to do. Yeah, that's how. Yeah. we've got one yeah, season yeah. with like interspersed pieces of. Right. Oh man, is that rain? Yeah, yeah, freezes over. We're done. <laughs> we don't know what to do. Economy shuts down. Yeah. Well, well, Mindy, thank you so much for for joining us. Yeah. Um, talking all the advocacy that you've done, you'd like to see done, um, and we can all thank you and, and, and for what you've already done and and, and uh, hopefully with this COVID and the immunizations piece coming out um, we get some answers on all of that I agree well thank you This was, it was great to talk with both of you it was a lot of fun yeah. so hopefully we'll I see you in person soon and we appreciate everything that you also do for uh, pharmacy as well cool. good deal alright thank you Mindy, have thanks. a good weekend thank you. you're awesome see ya. thank you see ya. you too okay take care Thank you for listening to this Catalyst podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerX on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.